We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. John chapters 1 and 2. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is John. I am the RUF campus minister at UC Berkeley, and I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend this past weekend with your friends and family. Um, It's really a joy to be with you all this morning. Um, We're going to start an Advent series next week, and so this morning we're doing a one-off, and you just heard our passage read from 1 John 1, verse 5 through 2, 2. That's a fairly well-known passage, especially verse 9 there. We use it often a lot at our church, especially when we're talking about assurance of God's forgiveness for our sins. Um, But the main thing that John wants to focus on in this passage is how Christians, you and I, are to walk in the light. And I think that's a timely reminder for us these days because we don't have to look too far to see how dark our world is. If you turn on your TV or your phone, you will get inundated with news about the brokenness of our world, about the darkness in our world, right? None more tragic than what is going on in the Middle East right now. That news is making all the headlines, but obviously it's not the only thing that makes this world dark. Um, At UC Berkeley, where I do ministry, I don't have to walk very far from campus, and I come face-to-face with the homeless crisis, with the drug problem that ravages the city, And for those of us in Oakland, we are all too familiar with that as well. All of those things and and, and more make the world around us dark. And that doesn't even include the darkness that is within us. All of us sitting here this morning have dark secrets that we don't want anyone else knowing. All of us struggle to walk in the light. But what John wants to assure us is that, yes, even though you and I are sinners because of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Because of Jesus, we can have fellowship with God. And because of Jesus, we can walk in the light. 
Right? That's the gospel, that's good news, and that should give you and me tremendous comfort and hope and joy. And so we're going to look at that in our text this morning, but before we dive in, would you pray with me one more time? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you tell us that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so give us humble and teachable hearts this morning as we receive your truth. And may your word not only encourage and edify us, but also give us the strength to do what you commanded us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you guys to imagine you're at a grocery store and you're buying groceries for the week. And I want you to imagine you have some sort of dietary restriction. Maybe you can't eat gluten, maybe you can't eat dairy, maybe you're vegan. And so if, you're, if, you're, if you have a dietary restriction, you will probably look at a lot of the ingredients on the packaging you're about to buy to make sure you can eat it so you don't feel sick afterwards. Right? And so companies know that, and the marketing, companies, uh, for, marketing for the companies know that, and so they will put on their packaging a big, bold message to let you know that the item you are about to buy is gluten-free, or dairy-free, or is vegan, so that you can, be, you can be assured that when you eat this, when you buy this and eat this at home, you'll be fine afterwards. Well, that's kind of similar to what John does here in our passage this morning. He is putting in big, bold letters a message about God. He wants you to know something about God. And the statement he wants you to know is that God is light, and that he is darkness-free. Right, that is the message that John wants to share. If you look at verse 5 with me one more time, John says, this is the message we proclaim, we've heard from him and proclaim to you. Right? This is the message. The first four verses of this letter we didn't read this morning, but John has been excited to tell you something about Jesus. He's been excited because he has touched Jesus, he has heard Jesus, he has seen Jesus with his own eyes, he has had fellowship with him, he wants to tell you something about him, and finally in verse 5, he gets to the message. He comes out and says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Right? That is the message and the news that John wants to share. Right? Because John has said in the first four verses that, that he has had fellowship with God. And now John says that God is light. And that means for us, in order for us to have fellowship with God, you and I need to walk in the light. But therein lies our problem. Right? Unfortunately, we are not in the light. We are in darkness. Right? Darkness and light cannot coexist. And so what do we do? Right? How do we react to this message that John tells us? And some of you you hear what John says, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I just need to try really hard to get rid of the darkness, to get rid of my darkness inside me. But then you'll try, and you'll realize that try as hard as you might, you can't do it. You can't get rid of the darkness inside yourself by yourself. And so maybe then you despair. Maybe you're discouraged. And then others of you, you hear that message, and you know that that's true of you, and so you're thinking, well, then what's the point? Right? There's no point in trying. I'm, not, I'm never going to be able to succeed. So I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live. Because I, I can't get rid of the darkness myself. Well, John is dispelling both of those notions with his message here today. Because John wants to tell you, because Christ confronted the ultimate darkness for you, you can walk in the light. Right? Because Christ confronted the ultimate darkness for you and for me, you and I can walk 
and the light. And we're going to look at this truth through three points this morning. First is God is light. Second is we need light. And third is Christ brings light. God is light, we need light, and Christ brings light. So first, God is light. When you hear the word light, what images come to your mind? Or maybe when you imagine light, you think of a warm, sunny day by the beach. And so light has the idea of warmth, of beauty, of life. Maybe you think of light as like if you're camping, right, and you it's night and you need a flashlight to show, shine your way back to where you are staying. And so light has the idea of safety and security. Or perhaps you imagine light, like the, if we keep with the campfire analogy, it's a campfire, you're roasting marshmallows, you're making s'mores with your friends, right? And so light there has the idea or the connotation of fellowship and family and being with those you love. All of those images convey something different about light, but all of them have a common thread. And the common thread is that light is good. Right, so the first thing that John wants to tell us, the first thing John wants to proclaim and emphasize to his hearers is that God is good. If you have a non-Christian friend come up to you and ask you, hey, you believe in God, Can you describe to me what God is like? Can you tell me about who God is? My guess is most of us would describe God as someone who is powerful, as someone who is just, right? We would describe God as someone who is holy and wise. And those things are true. Those things are important about God. But how long down the list of adjectives would it take for you to describe God as good? Because it's not difficult for people who accept and believe that there is a God, it's not difficult for them to believe, okay, if there is a God, then he must be powerful. He must be righteous. He must be just. He must be wise and holy. But it's a little bit more difficult for us to accept sometimes the truth that God is good, isn't it? When you look around and see some of the injustices that go on in this world, I'm sure some of you have asked the question, where is God? Does he care? If you've ever received news that your good friend or a close family member has been diagnosed with a debilitating illness, or worse, if you've heard that that friend or that family member has passed away way too early, do you question the goodness of God? Our scripture reminds us in a lot of places that God is good. First Chronicles 16, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, right? His mercy endures forever. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. In James chapter 1, the author writes, every good gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Right? There is that association with God being good and God being light, And so similarly, John wants to remind his hearers, he wants to remind you that God is good. He wants to reassure you that even though this world can often be dark, your heavenly Father is not. He is light. He is good. That's the message John saw and heard with Jesus. And that is the message that Christ revealed when he came into this earth 
And that's what John wants to proclaim and emphasize to you. And so the first thing it means for God to be light is that God is good. But this light imagery has another aspect to it, doesn't it? Right, maybe instead of imagining light as like a campfire where you're roasting marshmallows and s'mores, you imagine light instead like a wildfire raging through acres and acres of land. Right, like what unfortunately happened in Maui a couple months ago. And so for you, light has the idea of destruction and devastation. Or perhaps instead of a flashlight shining your way back to your campsite, you think of light as like a police light. Right behind your car, pulling you over because you did something wrong. And so light has the idea of maybe shame or guilt. Or maybe instead of a warm, sunny day at the beach, light to you has the idea of like a hot heat wave, like the sun beating down on you. And so light has the idea of uncomfortableness, maybe of even pain. When John says God is light, he adds a phrase and he says, in him is no darkness at all. Right? Light gets rid of darkness. The two are opposite of one another. God is a good God. His goodness is better than anything you and I could ever imagine. But that also means that darkness cannot have fellowship with God. And now that's good in one sense, because we want a God who won't put up with darkness. We want a God who's not afraid of the darkness. We want a God who can remove the darkness. Right? If you are driving on the freeway, and there is someone in a, in a car who is driving really fast past you, and he's weaving in and out of traffic, you want the police to pull that car over, right, so that it's safe to drive on the road. If you're a student and one of your teacher or your professor says, there has been a lot of people who have been cheating in this class, right? you don't want your teacher or your professor to let them off the hook. Right? We want justice. We want a God who won't put up with sin. We want a God who won't be affected by sin. And yet, instead, we'll remove it. Right? We want all of those things until we're the ones who are caught speeding down the interstate until we're the ones who are caught cheating. Right? We want the light until we realize that we ourselves are not in the light, that we're actually in darkness, and that is the problem that all of us have here this morning. I don't know if you noticed in our passage today, but starting in verse 6, there's a lot of if statements. Right? John has proclaimed this message that God is light, and then he works out the implications of what that means for us with these conditional statements. And in verse 6, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So first, John is saying you can't live in both worlds. You can't live in darkness and have fellowship with the light. Right? And John doesn't beat around the bush. He says that if you say that, you're a flat-out liar. Now, some of you will hear this and you think, okay, well, then maybe I'm not really walking in darkness. Right? I'm not perfect, but there are people out there who are really living worse than I am. They are really living in darkness. I'm not like that. So I'm not really living in darkness, am I? Right? But John is, John is dismissing that notion. He says, in God there is no darkness at all, not even a smidge. So unless you are living a perfect life, unless there is no iota of sin in you, then you are not walking in the light. 
You do not have fellowship with God, and if you say you do, then you lie. Well, then you might think to yourself, okay, fine, it's impossible to walk in the light. I'm going to be honest, say I can't live perfectly. I'm just going to do what I want. Well, John anticipates that thought too. He look, at, look at verse 7 with me. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Did you notice? John doesn't even try to make a case about whether or not you can walk in the light. He just assumes that it's possible. John knows our default reaction as people who sin, as people who are not perfect, is to try and hide from the light. And John knows that because he heard that from Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, this is right after the famous John 3, 16 passage, right? God so loved the world. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Right? We hide from the light because we fear that the light will expose our darkness. Right? We fear being fully known. We fear our deepest and darkest secrets being revealed and what will happen to us afterwards. Because we fear rejection. We fear getting canceled. We fear the guilt and the shame that that would bring upon us. And yet somehow we are also drawn to the light. We want to be able to walk in the light, to not walk in darkness. And John says that we can. And that leads me to my second point. We need light. Or more specifically, we need to walk in the light. Right? If God is in the light and we want to have fellowship with him, then we have to walk in the light. And the question is how? Right? How do you and I walk in the light? What does that look like? Well, John highlights three things, at least three things that we should see happen when we walk in the light. And first is confession. Walking in the light means living a life of confession. And we see that in verses 8 and 9. Right, verse 8 starts another conditional statement that's similar to verse 6. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Right, because if verse 6 wasn't clear enough, if John had not convinced you yet that you were walking in darkness, he makes it crystal clear here. You have sin. Now, for those of you who are Christians in this room, you believe that. You affirm that. That's why you're here. But I want to talk to perhaps there might be some non-Christians in the room this morning. And maybe you're here because a friend invited you. Maybe you're here because you're curious about the claims of Christianity. And you've been sitting here and you've listened to me harp on sin for the last 10 minutes and you are regretting coming here on this Sunday morning. And if that's who you are, I want to say first, I'm so glad you're here. It does mean a lot to us that you've chosen to spend your Sunday morning with us. But I also want to speak to you for just a little bit because I want to share with you what our world and our culture will not say to you. Because if you maintain the belief that you have no sin, then you are self-deceived. You are in darkness. Right? Our world is all about being authentic. Right? Our world is all telling us all the time to be true to your heart, to follow your heart. Well, unfortunately, if you claim that you have no sin, that is the most unauthentic act that you could commit against yourself. Right? That's why John says in verse 9, 
if we confess our sins. Again, John does not even question whether or not you have sinned. He's just questioned whether or not you have confessed it. Verse 9 is probably one of the most comforting verses, not just in 1 John, but in the whole Bible. Right? John wants to assure you that when you confess your sins, God forgives you. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Right? That builds off of what John says in verse 7. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from sin. I think confession is sometimes often a scary concept for us because we are often not sure what happens to us after we confess our sin, right? If you are driving on the interstate and then you see those police lights in your rearview mirror and you get pulled over and you're sitting there in your car and you're nervous and you're embarrassed and you see the police man walk, he gets out of his car and walks over to your window and he asks you the question, sir, ma'am, do you know why I pulled you over? What do you do? Maybe some of you are like me. And when that happens, you said, Officer, I'm so sorry. I know you pulled me over because I was speeding. I was going way too fast. That will never, ever, ever happen again. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Why do I do that? Why do you do that if you do? Right? Why do you confess that you have sinned or you have broken the law? Because you are hoping that the police officer will be merciful. You are hoping that the police officer will show you grace and mercy. You are hoping that the police officer will let you off with a warning. I know that because that's unfortunately happened to me before. And maybe that's happened to you, and sometimes you do receive grace. And the police officer does let you off with a warning. But other times, a few weeks later in the mail, you get a big fat fine. But what John here is saying that when you confess your sins to God, you do not have to worry about whether or not you'll be forgiven. Right? It's like if you got pulled over by the cop and he did not give you a warning. He actually gave you a ticket. But a couple weeks later in the mail, instead of getting a fat fine, you get a letter saying this fine has been paid in full. Friends, God did not shed his son's blood in order to withhold that from you. Come to Jesus, confess your sins, and be assured that his blood washes over your sins again and again and again and again. So walking in the light first means living a life of confession, but secondly, walking in the light means having fellowship with one another. We get that from verse 7. Right? When John says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Because when God calls you out of darkness and into light, he doesn't call you just out individually, but he calls you into light with one another. If we were walking in the light by ourselves, surrounded by darkness, that can be lonely, that can be scary. But John is here, here he's saying you are not alone. Walking in the light means having people around walking with you, being there for you, helping you when you falter. And this should make sense, especially if walking in the light is characterized by a life of confessing our sins with one another. Right? Because when we do life together, unfortunately, we sin. 
We sin against each other because we're sinners, but when we confess our sins to God, we should also confess our sins to one another. And we should do that because God has given us each other to bear one another's burdens, to assure one another of God's promise of forgiveness to us. And so friends, don't bear the weight of your sin by yourself, but live a life of confessing and forgiving one another just as Christ forgave you. So first, living a life of walking in the light is a life of confession. Second, it's living a life of fellowship with one another. But thirdly, walking in the light means living a life that dies to sin and lives to righteousness. And I get that from chapter 2, verse 1. John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John lays out the purpose of this section. He's been saying all these things so that we may live a life walking in the light, which means leaving the darkness. John, and more importantly, God wants us to walk in righteousness because sin is destructive. It dishonors God and it hurts us. Now you might be thinking, okay, I know that because God is light, I need to walk in the light. And walking in the light means confessing my sins, having fellowship with others, and living righteously. But man, that sounds so hard. Where am I going to find the strength? Where am I going to find the motivation, the power to live a life like that? And that leads me to my my third point. Christ brings light. Because John anticipates this question of where you and I are going to find motivation to walk in the light, also in 1 John 2, verse 1. Because after he said he wants them not to sin, he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so one way that Christ brings light is by being our advocate. And when you and I think of the word advocate, we think of someone who's on our side, someone who supports us, someone who expresses our thoughts and our dreams and our hopes to, to other people. And here, the word advocate has those ideas, but it also has a legal connotation to it, kind of like a lawyer, right? And so John is saying, in one sense, Christ is like our legal representation. Um, I don't know if you follow this news, but around this time last year, just a couple months before, one of the biggest news items was the news when actor Johnny Depp and Amber Heard were in a trial, a defamation trial against one another. Um, if you didn't, that, the news was all over social media, um, and so, so there was a lot of video clips about the trial because it was live streamed, um, but the point of me bringing up this example is that after the trial, public consensus was, was that one of Johnny Depp's lawyers, her name was Camille Vasquez, became super famous, and she became super famous because she was viewed as a really good lawyer and advocate for Johnny Depp. She was cool, calm, and collected. She asked tough questions on the other side. She made sure that Johnny Depp's name was not dragged through the mud. And just a disclaimer, I'm not trying to make a stance on the case one way or another, right? Both celebrities seem to be walking in the darkness, given all the testimony that was shared. Um, And I don't really know all the details of the case, but public consensus is that Camille Vasquez did such a good job, or she did a really good job, and she did such a good job that she was promoted to partner of her law firm after the case. She was that good of an advocate for Johnny Depp. And she was so good that at the end of the trial, instead of Johnny Depp having to pay $20 million 
that fine got reduced all the way down to $1 million, right? She saved him $19 million. But a million dollars is still a million dollars. Johnny Depp still has to pay a million dollar fine. Could you imagine then if after the ruling, Camille went to the judge and says, Your Honor, I will pay that fine for Johnny Depp. Right? No lawyer in that right mind would do that. Right? Even the best lawyers in the world would never do something like that. And yet that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus is not only our best lawyer, the best advocate we could ever ask for, but he also went above and beyond, and he paid our penalty. And that is what is meant by that word propitiation there in verse 2 of chapter 2. Jesus brings light, one, by being our advocate, but two, by being the propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation is a big, nice vocab word, but what it means is to appease anger. It means to remove anger. And in this case, it means to remove God's anger towards our sin. Imagine if you parked somewhere in Oakland in your car and you accidentally left your wallet in your car. And unfortunately, there was a smash and grab and your wallet was taken and your car was damaged. If that happened to you first, you'd be distraught that something like that happened to you. But the next thing you might feel is probably anger. How could someone do this to you? And even after your car, even if the perpetrator got caught and your car was fixed and the contents of your wallet were all restored to you, you could still be angry, right? What would it take for your anger to be removed? Would the perpetrator have to serve a certain amount of time in jail? Would the perpetrator have to pay for your therapy because now you're scared to drive and park your car in Oakland? Right? Something would have to be done in order for your anger to be removed. Well, that's what Jesus does for us. Right? When we sin against God, when we walk in darkness, we not only have the guilt of our sin, but we also bring about God's righteous anger because of our sin. And so when Christ died on the cross for your sins, his blood not only washes your guilt away, but he also removes God's wrath that was towards you because of your sin. It's no coincidence that when Jesus died on the cross, the whole land was covered in darkness. Because Jesus Christ, the light of the world, he brought his light into the world, and he faced the ultimate darkness of death that you and I should have faced so that you might be brought into the light and so that you could walk in the light. Right? That is the gospel. That is the good news. You and I can be free to confess our sins to one another because we know that Jesus has already paid the penalty and he's removed God's wrath towards your sin. You and I can strive to live a life that dies to sin and lives to righteousness because Jesus Christ, the righteous one, has already clothed you with his righteousness. You and I can have confidence knowing that we are already walking in the light because he has brought his light in exchange for our darkness. Friends, you remember in the beginning when I said that God is good. One of the reasons God is good is because he sought a solution for you to help get you out of walking in darkness 
and into his marvelous light. Right? The goodness of God was manifested when Jesus came into this world, when he became the propitiation for our sins, and when he rose and ascended into heaven and is your advocate even now. Right? Be assured of that goodness. Find comfort and joy in that goodness and walk in that goodness. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a good, good father. We thank you for sending your son to face the darkness so that we can walk in your light. Jesus, thank you for not only appeasing God's wrath towards our sin, but for continually advocating for us even now in heaven. Holy Spirit, apply these truths to our lives so that we might walk in them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.